lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Thanks for tuning in here today. Live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with... Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin and all of you at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Over on Parlor at Steve Dace and check out our new YouTube channel as well at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. We have a jam-packed show today. Um, coming up at the bottom of the hour, researcher extraordinaire Phil Kirpin is going to be with us. We're going to talk the latest data on COVID. Uh, we'll get into uh, polls, the Hunter Biden story, et cetera, with Phil coming up uh, at the bottom of this hour. Theology Thursday, we'll continue looking back on my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, and just find out, again, a reminder how uncomfortably prescient uh, this book turned out to be four years later. The sequel, by the way, releases on December the 15th. So you can pre-order your copy today. Uh, Nefarious Carol coming your way on December the 15th. Get your copy today at Amazon.com. And then we will play our regular game of three non-political questions. Of course, the last 24 hours, another reminder of, of what is going on with big tech. And we're going to get into this plenty with Aaron's montage and after in a moment. But this is also another reminder to take control of your data online, what you get to see online, um, what you want other people to see and know about you online whenever you can. And that is with Express VPN. All right. If you don't want the people that think they get to tell you what's news and what news you get to see. If you don't want them seeing what you're doing or your information, you want to get ExpressVPN because with ExpressVPN, they cannot see your IP address at all. Your identity is anonymized uh, through one of their secure servers. They encrypt 100% of your data for protection from hackers and eavesdroppers. It's why ExpressVPN was voted number one by CNET, Wired, and countless other uh, tech publications. It's easy to install on not just your computer, but your various devices. I have it installed on every my phone, my uh, laptop that you see here, for example. So stop letting big tech and big government censor and track you. Defend your rights and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Steve. Again, uh, that's expressvpn.com slash Steve. And when you go there, uh, use the promo code Steve to get three months for free with expressvpn.com slash Steve. And now here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by another bombshell. The New York Post published yet another expose based on emails recovered from a computer purportedly belonging to Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. These latest emails show the younger Biden pursued lucrative deals involving China's largest private energy company, including one that he said would be, quote, interesting for me and my family. 
One email sent to Biden on May 13, 2017, with the subject line expectations, included details of quote-unquote remuneration packages for six people involved in an unspecified business venture. Biden was identified as chair-vice chair depending on agreement with CEFC, an apparent reference to the former Shanghai-based conglomerate CEFC China Energy Company. His pay was pegged at quote-unquote 850, and the email also noted Hunter has some office expectations he will elaborate. The deal also listed 10 Jim and 10 held by H for the big guy. Neither Jim nor the big guy was identified further. However, Joe Biden has a younger brother named Jim. Another email sent by Biden as part of an August 2nd, 2017 chain involved a deal he struck with the since-vanished chairman of CEFC, Yi Jinming, for half-ownership of a holding company that was expected to provide Biden with more than $10 million a year. Yi, who had ties to the Chinese military and intelligence service, hasn't been seen since being taken into custody by Chinese authorities since early 2018, and CEFC went bankrupt earlier this year, according to reports. Biden wrote that Yi had sweetened the terms of an earlier three-year consulting contract with CEFC that was to pay him $10 million annually for quote-unquote introductions alone. Quote, the chairman changed the deal after we met in Miami to a much more lasting and lucrative arrangement to create a holding company 50% owned by me and 50% owned by him, Biden wrote. Hunter Biden goes on to elaborate what that 50-50 joint ownership in a holding firm would look like via a flowchart. The latest New York Post bombshell dropped just a day after another story detailing apparent corruption and collusion between Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and a Ukrainian energy firm while the elder Biden was serving as vice president. Perhaps at least equally disturbing to the revelations in these stories is what big tech giants did yesterday. Both Facebook and Twitter outright attempted to censor yesterday's story from the New York Post. Facebook communications flack and Democrat operative Andy Stone said in a tweet, quote, while I will intentionally not link to the New York Post, I want to be clear that this story is eligible to be fact-checked by Facebook's third-party fact-checking partners. In the meantime, we are reducing its distribution on our platform. In other words, Facebook censored this story before they'd even fact-checked the story. On Twitter itself, things were even more Orwellian. Twitter locked the account of the New York Post and outright banned the sharing of the URL to the post story in both tweets and direct messages, citing their policy on sharing hacked data. When the GOP House Judiciary Committee attempted to get around Twitter's censorship by sharing their link via their own website, Twitter blocked that link as well. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted yesterday evening, quote, Our communication around our actions on the New York Post article was not great, and blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking unacceptable. That statement came after Missouri Senator Josh Hawley sent a letter to the Federal Election Commission alleging Twitter's censorship of the story violated federal election law. And that's what happened while we were away. Wow. Is there a lot to unpack there? Uh, Aaron's uh, montage today brought to you by Rough Grange. You know, we do a lot of cool things for our pets these days. We take our dogs for walks. Some of you some of you even take them for runs. More power to you for that. We feed them. We give them treats. But you know, we also need to give them our vitamins and nutrients because, frankly, that's missing from just about all of the store-bought food that we buy these days. It's been sterilized for the same reasons a lot of our own store-bought food has been for mass consumption, long shelf life. That's why we're buying so many supplements today. I've got the grocery list. I've got to go grocery shopping after the show today. 
And <laughs> I'm probably going to spend more in the supplement section than I'm going to spend at the actual grocer section. Well, the same thing goes for our pets as well. That's where Rough Greens comes in. It is not a dog food, but a premium dog food supplement that you mix in with the food your pet already loves and it puts all the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, pre, probiotics, omega oils, antioxidants, <clears throat> pardon me, everything that your pet needs but isn't getting from their food goes right back in with Rough Greens. And if you want to try it today to see if you don't see a noticeable difference in your dog in two weeks or less. Get the Rough Greens Jumpstart bag today for just $14.95. It'll cost you less than 15 bucks to find out. Just $14.95 when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. In the overtime today, we're going to get into another round of polling data. Because now... Now we have polls coming out and they're being included in the real clear politics polling average. Claiming that Donald Trump, if the election were today, would challenge Herbert Hoover for the worst popular vote total by an incumbent president running for re-election in a two-party race in the history of the two-party era post-reconstruction. That's Herbert Hoover, 39.7%. Now, about 10 minutes from here last night, about 25,000 people showed up. 30% of them registered Democrats to watch and attend a rally of the President of the United States. Could Herbert Hoover do that? Could John McCain have done that at this stage of the election in 2008? At any stage of the election in 2008? Because right now, the Real Clear Politics polling average has Donald Trump three and a half full points behind where John McCain was. So what is going on here? I've gone through the various methodologies. I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here. We're going to get into that today in the overtime. I don't have time to get to it today because <laughs> there's a new front of our civil war that just went hot. I've got to address. All right. But uh, we are going to get into that today in the overtime. If you are a Blaze TV subscriber, cool. Uh, we will record that for you later today. You can go to blazetv.com slash dace and uh, watch that for yourself. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, that's also where you can go to become one and get a discounted subscription today to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash dace. So let's get into what we watched transpire last night. I want to I start with a big picture assessment. We have been talking about a cold civil war on this show for a couple of years now. And, and now that language is kind of commonplace, particularly within the conservative media sphere. There's, a, there's actually a really good op-ed page, a piece that uh, our executive producer here at Blaze TV, Ricky, sent me this morning in the New York Times. So I, I don't make it a habit anymore of reading uh, enemy media. But I'm, I figured if Ricky was sending me to sending it to me, it had to have some value, right? Sure. So I, I, I read through the piece, and it was breaking down from their perspective why uh, Democrats should not just whole cloth, trust the polls, think this thing is in the bag. And it pointed out several demographic and data points that I've talked about on this show, which is probably why Ricky sent it to me. Um, but the conclusion of this piece... I found to be pretty fascinating. And, and this is coming from the other side now. Hey, even if Joe Biden wins, can he govern a country that's this divided? Are, are we hopelessly divided and partisan now? And my fear is yes. And I think it's publications like the New York Times that are to blame. 
And we really saw this begin in the Obama era, where if you thought it was a bad idea for the United States to have more people on food stamps than the total population of Spain, you could have no other opinion of that other than uh, of, of why you think that's a bad idea other than you must be a racist, right? This is, this is what we were subjected to for eight years under Obama. And it's just gotten worse the last few years. Because when you dehumanize your opposition, when you poison the well to that extent, then give and take, debate, accommodation, compromise, coexistence aren't, just aren't possible anymore. I mean, when you, when you tell your base that the only reason anybody would disagree with them, the only reason anybody would think it'd be, when at all possible, a kid should have a mom and a dad, is they're homophobes. The, the only reason why we might not want to let the Mexican drug cartels have free reign of our southern border is we're xenophobes. And then you just feed that into your jet stream, but in your bloodstream, you just inject that into your zeitgeist. It's the air that you breathe. Sooner or later, it becomes your natural habitat. And you are what you consume. Proverbs says, bad company corrupts good character. For further proof of that, see a graveyard of people who once were conservatives and then went to work at CNN. Um, let me expand on that point, if you don't mind, and I know it's struck by lightning for doing so, but um, bad data, bad information corrupts good character, too. And this is why we've talked about a cold civil war. The left America versus what's left of the old America. Where, where truth is no longer slanted or biased, and frankly, it's not even that it's, it's not attainable. It's not sought after. It's not desired. Only the narrative that I can promote to get power over you, that's really all that matters here. That's the only information that matters. And you can catch me in all forms of whataboutism. You can catch me in all forms of obvious and complete and total uh, horse bleep. It doesn't matter. You can catch me with my pants down and no self-awareness whatsoever. Irrelevant. doesn't matter. I'm not even shameless. I don't care. Because all this is about is defeating you. Now... One of the things that concerned me in the last election is I was concerned that we were going to buy into this and do our own version of the poisoning of the well and thus just make this an unlivable country. That concern, frankly, isn't relevant anymore. Because open war is upon you, King Theoden, whether you want it or not. I'm not going to lie to myself. It's where we are now. And now, here is where we are. This is the political paradigm now. And I can understand if there are people of deep conscience who just decide they don't want to partake in this. People of great moral conscience and faith have been conscientious objectors, even in what were not even debatable righteous wars in the past, right? That's not new. And I won't begrudge any of you if you tap out and say, I, I just, 
I can't get myself there. I can't do it. I, it's not a fun place. It's a dark place, actually. Um, so I won't begrudge any of you that make that calculation. I will begrudge those of you, though, who stick around and naively think anything else other than what I'm about to lay out for you is what's going on. And I say this as a recovering naivete. Or maybe to give myself a little more benefit of that out, I just, I knew this, if we went here, it was a zero-sum game, and I just wanted to make sure we did everything we could before we arrived at where I believe we are now. Here is where we are now. This is the political paradigm now. I like it when the people I agree with win and you lose. That's it. That's it. Now, this is a difficult place to be for conservatives because we're not into identity politics of any extent, at least not when we're good at conservatism. We're trying to conserve objective truth, objective virtue. And in the world that, that this exists in, that's hard to hold on to because it's going to be highly subjective. Like Sherman marching to Atlanta and burning everything in his wake. In any other context but a civil war, we would call that a war crime, wouldn't we? Sure. Firebombing Dresden, as we did in World War II. In any other context other than an existential world war, one viewpoint of the world wins and the other loses. And there is it's a zero-sum game. In any other context, would firebombing Dresden be described as anything other than a war crime? No. Correct. How about when we sent our bombers to bomb civilians in Tokyo as our first offensive action against the Japanese post Pearl Harbor? If, if Pearl Harbor had not occurred and they had not dragged us into an existential conflict, in any other context, bombing civilians in Tokyo would be considered what? A war crime, right? Yeah. Okay. You're talking about just war theory. Yes, I am. And I think we're there now politically and if we're not there man we are seconds seconds away like on a stopwatch you're you're almost to the finish line i i'm not comfortable with it i <laughs> there's a lot of things i'm not comfortable with in life but it is what it is and you saw this play out last night you saw big tech take a five-year step in a few hours. You saw them soar past the sorts of things that when I was originally dubious of, do I want government to regulate this? Because frankly, I am dubious of, do I want government to regulate anything given government's track record? And then I looked at the issue and I thought, you know, yeah, I guess because I'm a total depravity guy as well, you give these kinds of people this level of leverage over your culture with no accountability, think of the things that they could do in the next, I don't know, five or 10 years, right? And then we kind of played that game theory that out as a show and kind of evolved on that issue when we looked at it in the, in, in the world as it is, not as we would prefer it to be with our conservatarian, our cherished conservatarian desires, Right. Right. We had to accept the world for what it is. Hey, it'd be great if you could form a competitor to Google. You can't. Because they won't let you bring your product to market. They control what you see. I remember the interview we did, I think it was a year or two ago, with the guy who started Parler. That really opened my eyes. 
of what it took for him to even get his product in the iTunes store, for example. And we have we can't do magical thinking from the right, like we often accuse them from doing from the left. We we have to see things for what they are. And if the environment we are now in means for you, I just I I can't do this. Frankly, most of these Republicans are useless anyway. They are. And I've just got ministry and other things. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to engage at this level. I won't blame you at all. But I think now's the time you need to make that decision. Because in, one of my best friends tells a story about when he got a job um, as a chief of staff or a congressman on Capitol Hill. And he took a position, he took a, a, a self-defense course with a lot of other congressional flags. And it was taught by a Navy SEAL in D.C. And the first day of the class, um, he said, um, he held up the gun and he said, um, raise your hand if you're not sure right now you could point this at somebody and kill them with it. Anybody that raised their hands, he refunded their money and kicked them out of the class. And he said, because if you can't do that, me training you how to use this weapon and then you getting a license to conceal and carry one and have one in your home, you're more of a danger than if you don't have one in your house because the perp will come into your home, you'll point the gun at him, you won't have the balls to fire it and he'll take the gun from you and use it on you and your loved ones. You're more dangerous armed than unarmed. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Just means that you don't belong in a self-defense class. You should do something else with your life. You don't. And that's okay. We need nice people. But for everything, there is a time and a season. This is a Nehemiah 13 time. Go read it. That's what's happening right now. I'm not a fan of it. I like a lot of things where there's a lot of, there's a lot of things I enjoy. Sports, movies where there's a lot of cultural cross-pollination, where a lot of people of different viewpoints get together and enjoy them simultaneously. I, I, I know what this means. I, I know that it means that may change. I know that. I'm not happy with it. I'm going to be 50 in a few years. I'm five minutes away from get off my lawn, okay? But I, I can't lie to myself about what's in front of me because what happened last night on social media is the cold civil war went hot in the digital sphere. It went hot. Bullets were fired. Fort Sumter happened last night in the digital sphere. What you saw last night is the same tech companies who were fine with years of endless speculation about P-tapes. Suddenly now we don't like leaked information. I guess if somebody criminally leaks Donald Trump's tax returns, that's okay. Endless speculation about Russian collusion that never, ever had a shred of evidence. And here's the actual smoking gun evidence of Ukrainian, and now today, Chinese collusion. And by the way, I mentioned yesterday that I had heard there was more coming. The more coming actually isn't even, some of it actually is the story that's in the New York Post today. But there's more coming. I was not, we're still not to the more coming that I was told about. So... 
drip, 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 man. I think there's a lot more coming here. I mean, Hunter, Hunter Biden is a, is a sad man, has some issues, clearly. As a husband, father, as a man, he's a crack addict, he's a drug addict. You're only hiring that guy, if you're these foreign countries and these foreign companies, you're only hiring that guy and paying him these princely sums. If his name was Hunter Dace, Hunter Erzin, Hunter McIntyre, is he getting these gigs? No. No, you're subsidizing this guy's crack habit because his name's Hunter Biden. That's why. Because of who he has access to. That's why. And what you saw last night is the same tech companies who allowed the various frauds. Who was the woman that claimed, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Brett Kavanaugh was a part of a marauding band of rapists. Julie Swetnick, Swetnick. right? Yeah. yeah. Same. You can still... You can still share articles of Julie Swetnick's accusations, but you can't share the actual evidence in writing itself of Hunter Biden's shady business dealings. And there's only one reason why that is. We all know what it is. So let us not lie to ourselves. Let's take the blinders off. Scales off of eyes. And let's see this for what it is. What occurred last night in America's cultural civil war, cold civil war, in the digital sphere was Fort Sumter. Shots were fired last night. We're never going back. Whatever you thought things were in the digital sphere 24 hours ago, barring force, we're never going back to anything better than that, ever. And with all due respect to Senators Howley and Cruz, and they don't have any power, I mean, they're issuing subpoenas for testimonies next week. No. People at the White House right now control the executive enforcement branch of this government. The FCC should have been on the doorstep of Facebook and Twitter's offices at 8 a.m. Eastern this morning, right when they opened. With cataclysmic threats of shutting you down for good. If you ever do this ever again. And you have declared yourselves as publisher, so therefore all of your legal protections are gone like that. Section 230, what is it? We don't know. We ejected it. doesn't exist. Just like Christopher Ray should have been fired yesterday at the FBI. Maybe at some point Donald Trump will drain some swamp. Last week, his CIA director was holding up any more revelations on the fake Russian collusion coup attempt. Now it's, he appointed her. He appointed the FBI director who said Antifa was an idea and set on the evidence that Joe Biden was guilty of the corruption Trump was accused of trying to unearth and was impeached over for nearly a year. And now it's Trump's own White House spokeswoman who's locked out. It's things shared by the Trump campaign that are locked out. You know, at some point, how about no more drain the swamp chance at a rally? Do the thing. Do the job. Do the job. Because force is all that's going to be respected now. And I think we have to consider we're now in an era where elections are about, and I hate to say this, I do. I hate to say this, but it is what it is. I think elections now are really about who will use the power and force of government to advance and defend my constituencies against yours, period. 
ideology, all those other things, libertarian, conservative, liberal, neocon, I think they're, they're irrelevant now. Who will use the levies, the levers and power and force of government to defend my constituencies against yours? That's it. That's what's going on here. Or to impose on yours as the other side sees it. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about what you said a couple of days ago about America as the control group for the rights of the people mm-hmm. for all time and in all places, mm-hmm. that it, this can be done. And that is that is what is in the dock here. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about uh, God in the dock. This, uh, the, liberty of a, the, the rights and liberties of a free people are absolutely uh, in the dock here. Just like Sweden is being memory hold, our ability, even though we fought for a lot of bad ideas over the history of man, we've stood a chance ultimately because we fought for them out on the out in the open. But this Orwellian stuff, where, as you said, the reason this uh, our liberties are in the dock here, Steve, is because we're in the ups- they're in the upside down. Everything they're guilty of, they place on us, and then there's no argument to be had. It's not allowed to exist. We need to fight to get it back right now. We'll talk to researcher extraordinaire Phil Kirpin about this and other issues when we return here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Stay tuned. Did you know the average American has almost 100 points they can add to their credit score, but most of us have no idea how to obtain those. And that's where ScoreMaster comes in. It's the new credit super science that helps you to super boost your credit score. What do we mean by a super boost? We're not talking a few points. I mean, the average ScoreMaster user will will raise their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less which makes a huge difference. I mean, if you go from the high 500s to the mid 600s, if you go from the mid 600s into the 700s and beyond, the difference in not just approval, but even if you can get approved, the interest rate, the offer given you for a home, a business loan, a car loan, dramatic difference. And a lot of employers are looking at credit scores as part of their hiring background checks as well. So if you want the, the, to be empowered with the information the banks have on you by putting it in your hands, uh, ScoreMaster walks you through transparently why you have the score you have and then what you can do to get to the score that you want. You can enroll in minutes and see how many plus points are available to you and your credit score when you visit scoremaster.com slash Steve. Again, that is scoremaster.com slash Steve. We're joined now by friend of the program, researcher extraordinaire, Phil Kirpin. Uh, you can follow him uh, at Kirpin. Uh, Phil, I believe is what it is, right, Phil, on Twitter, correct? Uh, just just my last name, K-E-R-P-E-N. Thank you very much. K-E-R-P-E-N, at Kirpin on Twitter. Uh, while you still can uh, because we're learning now that you can have the objective information, hard copies in your face, and it will be banned uh, outright if it doesn't fit the narrative. So, so Phil, let's begin there. Because I, I, you were asking this question last night, and I, I posed it here just a few minutes ago. If his name were Hunter Kirpin, Hunter Dace, Hunter Smith, who, wh- why would major companies and, and, and foreign interests in Ukraine and in China hire him to subsidize his crack habit 
uh, to, a, to a tune of a princely sum. The only reason he got these gigs is his name is Hunter Biden. So as you put it yesterday, what exactly is the innocent counter explanation for all of these things, right? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting, right? Because there's so much evidence that this was some kind of a corrupt scheme. Um, and there's, you know, but we keep being told, well, you haven't proven it. You haven't proven it, no matter how much evidence there is. And I keep saying sort of, you know, well, okay, what's the alternate theory that fits the facts here? What's the innocent explanation for why a Ukrainian gas company would pay a million dollars a year to a guy who spends his time using drugs in the VIP rooms of strip clubs in Washington, D.C.? And what is the uh, value proposition that he presents to them other than access to the Obama-Biden administration? And nobody has presented an alternative theory of that or of the China money or of the, you know, any, any of this. I mean, there's really, and, and of course, Hunter Biden himself said, oh, it's because my last name is Biden in that interview that he did on this. And uh, we're supposed to believe, well, you know, they, they just, they gave him the money because he had the name and, you know, maybe, you know, listing him on the, these boards or list there, telling people about these connections would somehow be beneficial for them. Uh, there's an awful lot of smoke suggesting that this was more than that, uh, that he was providing access to the administration. And, uh, you know, I, the, the idea that we can't even discuss it, that we can't even look at it, that we can't even have articles about it in newspapers uh, without them being blocked and censored is pretty astonishing. And by the way, uh, Steve, I think this is going to backfire on them pretty badly. I think a lot more people know about this as a result of these sort of ham-handed attempts to block it than would have if they just let the article be passed around normally yesterday. And so I I don't know that, uh, you know, this idea that we need to fear these big tech gatekeepers that have so much power, I'm not sure they have all that much power. I think they're trying, but I think it's going to blow up in their face and, uh, you know, people are going to know about this. One of the things that stood out to me with yesterday's news, and I, I tweeted out yesterday I'll, I'll share a little bit more now. I, I was I was told earlier this week that a bomb was about to drop. And it's actually not this story. It is similar, but it's not this story. And it's not... And I was even told where it was going to come from, but it wasn't from the New York Post, which means somebody else is working on something else where Hunter Biden is concerned. And it's it's not salacious. It's not about women or personal behavior. It's, it's about ethics and business dealings in the vein of what we're already seeing. And, and so I had, a, I, I, I had a feeling something was coming. And then when this came out of the blue with another country heard from, I was like, wow, this is going to be even more comprehensive and systemic than I was, uh, I was told a few days ago. And what stuck out to me about the New York Post story more than anything else, Phil, is that we, we put the country through an impeachment back in January because the president was alleged to go on a phone call with Ukraine and leverage uh, uh, foreign aid in order to get them to investigate alleged Biden corruption. And the whole time that we were doing that, the FBI, Phil, had a laptop with prima facie evidence on it that even if you think Trump did everything he was accused of, there was actually prima facie evidence for why they would investigate the Bidens as Trump, you claim, was demanding. They had the documentation, the evidence, the entire time that we went through an impeachment as a country and never said a word. 
How is Christopher Ray employed today, Phil? Uh, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, I think that I think that Trump wanted Comey out for obvious reasons, and uh, he somehow was persuaded uh, to go with Chris Ray, and it's been almost total continuity at that agency. I mean, it has not been, uh, you know, nothing's been turned upside down. Uh, Ray has continued to sort of protect the institutional prerogatives of the FBI and uh, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, the permanent Washington class. And um, he certainly has not acted sort of as the president's appointee and, and driven the president's agenda or interests. And, you know, people will say, well, a law enforcement agency should be totally apolitical and that kind of thing. And, you know, I agree with that. That's but but it's one thing to not advance, you know, sort of the political interests of the president when you're a law enforcement agency. It's another thing to bend over backwards to thwart uh, mm-hmm. what you know to be the truth. And that seems to be what occurred here. All right, let's I think there's more. Even and, and now there's a similar story uh, that from Ukraine. He ran the same kind of gambit at China with very shady figures. I, I think that this there's going to be more uh, based on what I'm hearing. Uh, that I think I don't. I think we're this is going to be a continuous drip. It's pretty got pretty clear this guy was into his eyeballs uh, in uh, Whitewater times the Clinton Foundation times Teapot Dome uh, for for several years now. Um, let's transition over to COVID. So uh, our youngest daughter has had what we would in any other year call a bronchitis. Uh All right. But because of COVID, everything's COVID. Like we cured the flu, heart attacks, everything because of COVID. Right. All just disappeared. Right. So. So flu testing numbers, by the way, Steve, are incredible. Yeah, I know. See, literally almost zero flu. I think there were 17 positive tests in the whole country last week. I know. It's it's insane. It's absolutely insane. All right. So Zozo's had has had no fevers. All right. Which is the number one symptom for COVID. Right. The lingering fever thing. Right. Okay. That's why they're doing temperature checks and everything everywhere you go, and they're not checking your 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 breathing uh, level uh, with a stethoscope. All right, so she's not had a fever, and uh, Amy takes her in finally because I'm like, I think she has a bronchitis and is going to need a uh, an antibiotic. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and do a COVID test now. Amy's nice. I'm not. I'd have never let him do it, but Amy's nice, right? So they go ahead and do the COVID test, right? And it comes back. We have to wait a couple of days, and then it finally came back negative, which I knew all along it would. But I, I remember I said to Amy the other day that when they were supposed to call us with the results, if the, if by chance, right now in Iowa, the positive test rate's like 5%. If by chance they come back and test positive, I want you to ask them, what is what was the virus cycle threshold that of her score what what, what was it what, what 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 was what was the score that she tested positive at it's a great question do you Steve, think they could have even answered that phil if she, if she had tested positive you think they would have known I've, I've talked to a lot of doctors about this the lab report doesn't it just says positive or negative it doesn't give them that critical information and so uh doctors don't know if you have a genuine infectious, high viral load positive, or one of these sort of trivial positives of old viral debris from months ago. Uh, They do not share that information with doctors. And uh, allegedly, uh, what all the labs are saying, this is an FDA problem. It's a regulatory problem because the emergency use authorizations from the FDA have classified these tests as qualitative tests, which is to say they're just yes or no, positive or negative, not quantitative tests uh, where they can are allowed to report uh, an indicator of viral load, like what the cycle threshold was. 
And so uh, you can ask your doctor, but they will not know. The lab does not give them that information. The reason why that matters, and I went through this with my audience a, a, a couple of months ago when the New York Times story came out, and then Facebook uh, uh, demonetized me for posting the New York Times story. I got a fact check for the New York Times story. I don't know why they didn't fact check the New York Times, but the way, but the, again, the way this works, uh, the reason why that matters is the viral threshold is how many times they had to zoom in, like a, like on a microscope, how many times they had to zoom in on your sample until they de- had a detectable level of the virus. All right, right. and it's and, how many doublings they had to do. Yes, and so each cycle is another doubling in the amount of uh, right. uh, viral material, and so uh, you know it's two to the whatever power is the the amount of magnification, if you will. So when you're talking about you know thirty or thirty five or forty doublings, you got to do you know get out a calculator, type in your two to that power is how much magnification they're doing. And, you know, at those high numbers, it's, you know, billions of times, you know, the number goes up dramatically every time you double it, obviously. And so this, this, the, the threshold of infection is typically not any higher than, what, 28 or 30, right? Something around there, right? Uh, you know, the best study we have was in Oxford study, and they put it around 25. Okay, so even lower. Uh, All right. The CDC has said that the highest they've ever seen infectious virus, virus that can be uh, replicated in the lab, is 33. They say they claim to have found it as high as 33. Uh, But if you look at the chart, it's interesting because it's an unpublished study. They just have one slide, one chart from this unpublished study, and it's one dot down at 33, and everything else is pretty well above. So it seems that they have found one example, they say, of 33, but realistically, uh, it's more like 25 or 30, uh, above which you're finding old viral debris, not infectious virus. And, and all over the country, we're going to 35 or even 40, correct? Like everywhere. Or, or 42 in Kansas yep. uh, or 45 on uh, one test uh, that's being used in some labs. And so... And so we're quarantining people, we're, we're, we're shutting businesses down, we're, we're shutting universities down and everything over, these, over this case-demic, but we're not telling these people at what point of the threshold did they actually test positive. Are they really infectious or not? Are we picking up what are called viral artifacts, meaning evidences of a past infection that you may not have known about because your body fought it off and you were asymptomatic the entire time? It's, it's the main reason Andrew Boston, the epidemiologist, at Brown University has been following this. Uh, last I, the last numbers I saw him report over 100,000 positive cases at American universities with exactly two hospitalizations. I don't know if he's updated those numbers recently, it's but I think like it's because of this. Numbers. There was one college that hospitalized like seven kids. So maybe they had a lock standard for hospitals there, but it jumped. It's like nine or 10 now out of 100,000 kids. Nine or, so nine or 10 out of 100,000 positives on America's university campuses. What can we do about this? Is there a better way to test? Now, the NFL's yes. probably got the best private sector healthcare in America, right? Right now? They're they getting false really positives protocol. up the wazoo. So what can we do? They, but they have a good protocol because they're, they, when they do get false positives, they figure out that they're false and they end up right. not isolating them. That's the big difference between what they're doing and what happens to anyone else who gets these false positives. And first, first of all, just to underscore your point about how widespread this problem is, that New York Times article, which is now you know two and a half months old, uh, or well, when was it? It was the end of August, so it's, it's almost two months old. Uh, 
you and I remember it. The New York Times pretended it didn't occur. By the next day, they went just went, went back to hyping cases like they hadn't even told us this. But they found they were able to obtain the cycle threshold data from three states, Nevada, New York, and Massachusetts. And they said 85 to 90 percent of the so-called cases in those three states were not infectious. Uh, they had uh, viral loads that were not infectious, that didn't represent current replication-capable virus, but rather old, dead viral debris. So you know, 90% of the people being isolated, quarantined, uh, contact traced in those three states, uh, were it was totally unnecessary. Uh, I have no reason to think that other states are significantly different than that, uh, but they might be. Those, you know, New, York, they, New York Times got answers. I've asked a lot of states. I don't get any answers. Most people don't. Hmm. Uh, New York Times managed to get some answers. So that's, that's kind of what we know about that. But the answer is yes. I mean, we have... Uh, tests now that are calibrated to tell you what you really want to know, which is not, is there any virus anywhere in my body, but rather, am I infectious today? Could I infect someone today? And uh, these are the instant antigen tests, and the FDA dragged their feet up for months and months and months on approving them. They finally did grant an emergency use authorization to one. Uh, it's the Abbott test, uh, which unfortunately, the entire production run was bought by the federal government. And now they're giving it out through bureaucratic channels through the states, which is not the distribution system I would use uh, because it means you're not going to be able to get it unless, you know, you have some political connection or what have you. Uh, but, you know, this test tells you what you want to know. Am I infectious today? And it tells you it in 15 minutes. And instead of doing a million tests a day, that are these lab tests you have to wait three days for. And they tell you, is there any virus in your body, even if it's old dead viral debris, uh, you know, well, that's almost completely useless. The tests we should be using, the ones that are actually useful, the ones that tell you right now, 15 minutes later, am I infectious right now? Could I infect someone? Do I have live virus inside me? Uh, you know, it's a breakthrough that FDA finally approved one of those tests. There are a lot of other pending applications. They haven't approved some as far back as March. Abbott's charging $5 per test. There's some companies that say they can get it down to $1 or $2. Uh, much better than the lab tests, which are $100 to process and maybe another 50 or 100 to collect the specimen. Uh, but the big problem, Steve, is uh, the FDA has still not approved any instant test for home use. And so you, if, if only a clinical, a licensed clinical lab tech can administer the test, even if it's $2 or $5, it's yeah, just to have not a professional. Really accessible yeah. and useful yeah. because you, know, you, you can't buy a 10-pack and use them when you want at home when you're going to go see an elderly or medically frail parent or what have you. You know, it's you need to be dependent on going to a lab or going to another medical setting. And that, uh, I think, dramatically reduces the value and the usefulness of these tests. So it was a big, good step in the right direction that they authorized one of these tests. Uh, but I'd really like to see home use. And I also would like to see distribution through retail, not the government buying all of them and then deciding uh, you know, through central planning where they will go, which is what we have right now, remarkably under a Republican administration with this test. All right, follow him on Twitter. You have more great information like this, at Kerpen, K-E-R-P as in Paul, P-E-N. Phil, great stuff as always, man. God bless you. Take care, all right? Take care. All right, have a good one. You bet. Hour two is next, Theology Thursday, three non-political questions, all that and more coming your way next. with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you at 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, that's D-E-A-C-E. 
Also over on Parlor at Steve Dace and then on our new YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. I want to give a quick little shout out here if I could to Rhonda Judy, I think is how the last name is pronounced. And she sent the three of us the uh, DVD set of season one of The Chosen, right? Yes. And it is the, uh, well, it's the most highly recommended programming we have had in our inbox on this show in the last two years. And we keep telling each other we need to watch this and still haven't gotten around to it yet. Rhonda sent each of us, though, the DVD of season one and a very sweet note. I wanted to just give Rhonda a thank you and a shout out. That was very, very sweet. Thank you very much, Rhonda. We appreciate you. All right. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, three non-political questions. Um, But this portion of the show brought to you by Keeps. Have you noticed your hair isn't quite looking as full as it used to? Yeah, losing your hair is no fun. Now, there's a few options on the table you can do about it. Go to your doctor for a hair loss treatment prescription. Visit the pharmacy and then try not to go broke while you're trying not to go bald or... Try this option instead. Try Keeps from the comfort of your own home. We're going to get the same doctor-recommended FDA-approved hair loss treatment, but Keeps offers the generic versions for about half the cost. And one more thing you're going to love about Keeps is that it's all online. You just answer a few questions, snap a few a few pics of your hair, and then a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you, and it's shipped directly to your door. So it's convenient, it's cheaper with the generic versions, and then how about we throw in another special offer to get you started? Take another 50% off your first order. That's right, half off your first order when you go to keeps.com slash grow. K-E-E-P-S for keeps.com slash grow. All right, let's get to Theology Thursday. We continue our look at my 2006 book, A Nefarious Plot, written by a demon general from hell named Lord Nefarious, who was tasked by the devil with taking down the United States of America, which has been the biggest spur in his burr in his saddle, the biggest pain in his rear, other than the church itself for the last couple of centuries. And Nefarious is so confident in his plan that it was successful, that to prove to his master the devil he has won and the plan is irreversible, he puts it all into writing, lays it out in painstaking detail to rub our noses in it, connect every dot, name every name, and we'll blow it off. We'll say it's conspiracy, it's not true, it's it's whacked out, it's fake, it's fraud, etc. And that's how our own complacency is how nefarious will learn or, or be convinced once and for all, certify that uh, that he gets his, his, his blue check mark, if you will, uh, that he is certified now in hell. He won. And that brings us to the sequel book, which comes out on December the 15th. It's a novella. It's called A Nefarious Carol. And in the sequel book now, that nefarious has won. The devil himself moves on to stage two of his plan, and that is to make America no longer is no is no longer uh, in his way, but now is going to help him pave the way for his way in the world. And he seduces or attempts to seduce one young woman one night in a hotel room to convince her to give birth to his antichrist. But for the ritual to be successful, she has to do this of her own free will. He cannot impose on her. He cannot assault her. He can't lie to her. He has to, on the merits, 
convince her to join with him. And that exchange is what you will read in a nefarious carol coming your way on December the 15th. It's what's called a novella, which means it's about half the size of a normal novel. And it only has five chapters. Um, the offer, the past, the present, the future, and the close. Um, those are the only five chapters. And it's meant for you to be able to read it on one car ride or one plane ride and have it kind of stick with you when it's over. So if you want to get your pre-order in for a nefarious carol, you can do that today at amazon.com. It releases nationwide on December the 15th. All right, so gentlemen, let's continue, though, looking at the predecessor, a nefarious plot. Last week, we looked at the introduction. This week, we look at chapter one. Todd, would you like to begin? It's called Why You? And it's ultimately, parenthetically, why are you special? And not special in the way of the good, the true, and the beautiful. It's why are you special in that you deserve a special kind of killing? I don't know if you inadvertently... Uh, oh, I, I, or purposely did it. I think you probably inadvertently did it, but like in the first three or four graphs, you, you, you kind of sum up all of the old and the new Testament because right out of the gate, he says, we, we knew you were trouble. The he nefarious says you, the American people were trouble from the beginning. There's a Carl Lewis, like, Oh, uh, right out of the gate. Because, and then, and, and the way you talk about it and you're not specifically, and I'm inferring it. You talk about those, those people and God's relentless long suffering uh, for them. And it ends with him even loving you so much, despite your baseless ordinariness that we, uh, you gave his, uh, your only son and we beat the hell out of him and try, you said, trust me, we enjoyed it, but you did that. And it was just, we just never could get it. And then we finally thought we had you in the dark ages. You know, we, th- we kind of thought this was, but, but then our all moment came like all of a sudden, again, we were back in that so frustrating. You seem so ordinary, America, but you refused to l- let go of that thing called God. It was part of your ethos from the very beginning. So this is a, the least directed question I have of you, but am, am I correct in that they were scared is because as in the 5,000-year leap, forgive the author off the top of my head, uh, Cleon Skousen, Skousen. Yep. He, he talks about there's the most two most unique people in all of human history in their ability to govern themselves according to the truth are the Hebrews and the American people. They mm-hmm. saw this story before, mm-hmm. and they it's as frustrating a story as they've ever had to deal with. Excellent point, question, and... I want to make this disclaimer clear before I fully answer it. I'm not somebody who believes America is a new Israel or anything like that. And and I have to clarify that every time this comes up. Yes. Okay. But the reason why I, when I wrote the book, the reason why hell tethers them together is that I don't believe America is a new Israel. There was only one Israel. There is only one Israel, but that America America was founded off of many of the lessons learned by and from the Hebrews, from their successes and their failures. And the reason why the Hebrews were able to pull this off for as long as they did, despite their brokenness, their sinfulness, is they had a direct call on their lives from God. They were called out of Egypt. 
right? They were called out of the wilderness into the prom. They were led directly. They were a direct theocracy, right? I, I think every government in the history of the world has been a theocracy. We're only debating who the Theo is in each one of these. Uh, in, in Israel's case, we're talking about something different, a direct theocracy, meaning God directly moved his hand through human history to make this nation happen. This government happened. And when when, when the people go to Samuel the prophet and say, give us a king so we will be like everybody else, you know, on the road to Damascus when Christ confronts Saul, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting my, my disciples, my apostles, my followers? He says, why are you persecuting me, right? In a similar way, when the, when, the, when the Hebrews go to Samuel the prophet or to the Samuel the judge and they say to him, hey, we want to be a king. We don't want to be ruled by you divinely appointed judges anymore that commune directly with God. We want a king so we can be like everybody else. God says to Samuel, the people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me. There's a parallel there, right? And I think that what made us different and so what makes the Israelites distinct or holy is a good word there. And one of the, one of the, if you have an amplified Bible where it gives you like all the various alternative word synonyms for a term uh, in there, uh, one of the words you see in the amplified Bible for holy is peculiar. One of the things that made the, the, the Jewish people peculiar is their, the direct hand of God on them as a people, as a nation, as a culture, the direct guidance, the direct revelation that he provided. What we tried to do here in the founding of our country was indirectly tap into that. Our, our founders didn't make the case that, um, that they were uniquely positioned, anointed, maybe is a good word. They were uniquely anointed to alter the course of human history. They didn't make that case. They made the case that the only chance this had to be successful is if they sought after the will and revelation of history's judge. That the Israelites were given, were given the will of God. It was imparted to them. Um, our founders tried to provoke it. Our, our founders tried to move God to action through days of prayer, repentance, thanksgiving. Um, they, they, they sought through acts of worship and, and, and if, the, if, if the covenant God made with the Israelites was, worship me, I, and I will give you this land. And, and what are Moses' final words? I've set before you blessing and cursing. Life and death. Choose life so that you may live in the land. Okay? Our founders said, um, will you give us this land if, if we worship you? They, endure, they, they, they went the other direction but for, a, but for a, a, a similar covenant. The Ten Commandments were posted everywhere as the basis of your law, your civic law, just as they were the basis for the civic law in ancient Israel, for example. Um, that the goal was, the idea was, the only chance this had to buck human history 
was if the will of God could be could be moved through prayer and obedience and worship. And that's that's why the two people are so unique and distinct. Because in one case, God chose a people for himself. And that's the covenant he made with Israel. In the other case, our founding generations sought after covenant with God. Isn't this Matthew 28 just coming to life? A return on that investment? I'm going forth to all yes. the world now? Yes. And and because they lived with a new... Te- they, they applied an Old Testament covenantal theological view in a New Testament lens that that mm-hmm. the veil is torn the gospel is now open to all people remember they're post reformation right and so they're translating the bibles into all these native languages all over the world and um you know pre reformation you couldn't live in germany and read a bible in german you couldn't live in um in england and read a bible in english okay and so they were trying to say hey we why can't those promises be open to us as Americans? If, 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 if we obey, if we worship, if we put our trust in you. And I think that's why these two civilizations, that's why they have made such a profound impact on human history is because they, one had a direct covenant. One had a, a sought had had a had a soft sought after version of one that elevated the character and integrity of the people above their own base natures, and that's why they became. Uh, you know, the the Jews were a light to all other nations. We have, you know, we've often in in the history of our country used an analogy from that time with the shining city on a hill like Jerusalem, for example, right? That America can be that shining city on a hill setting an example for the rest of the world. And I think anything as as nefarious says repeatedly in this book, anything that, that prompts us to rise above our base natures, our most carnal instincts, hell is against and the creed that America was founded on and inspired by does that. And that's why they were against America. This is more targeted since it is a non-covenantal people specifically. Uh, why are they dangerous? Well, Nefarious recognized exactly why they were dangerous. What did they bring to bear to compensate that they weren't a non-covenant, non-covenantal people? but thus still uh, were as frustrating to them. And and, uh, Nefarious says it was this fusion, this marriage of the Reformation and the Renaissance. Mm -hmm. I think this is more targeted. I want you to, what exactly are those terms? Because this is not from my Catholic perspective, but even as a Protestant, the Reformation, as it was, has now fractured upon fracture. So I think a lot of people even living now, what do you mean? Why was this fusion specifically with those two words? Why is that dangerous? Because what, what what what, what the Reformation introduced more than anything 
what it, what it, what it produced was the democratization of information and knowledge more than anything else. We had the scientific revolution after the Protestant Reformation. We had the economic revolution and capitalism after the Protestant Reformation. So what it produced was the democratization of knowledge and the, and the flow of information in the world more than anything else. And at that time in human history, what was the fount, what was the source of, of human knowledge and information was the, was the Bible. Okay. And so once the Bible was unlocked and democratized for people, then it only made sense that pretty much every other lesser flow and strain of thought and information would follow suit and do the same, that people would then do the math. Hey, if, if I can go directly to God now without an intermediary, if I can, com- if I can commune with the word of God now without an interpreter directly, then why do I need an interpreter to study astronomy? You know what I'm saying? Why, why can't I just learn this and, and, and the, the, the natural laws of these things on, on my own, all right? So the democratization of information is what the Reformation produced more, more than anything else. But part of that was this idea that the individual held great value in the kingdom of God. That Luther could say the Pope is not, is not infallible because the Pope is every bit, he's not the vicar of Christ as much as he is. That, that, that headship comes with responsibility, not power. Meaning he's just as accountable to God as, 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 as the serf is, as the indentured servant is. The Pope doesn't get to change what the Bible says. He doesn't interpret it for us. That if, that if he is the vicar of Christ, his job is to enforce the revelation that's already there. Not to determine new revelations, not to determine new truths. Um, that then the same goes for your king. That therefore, if the most powerful figure in the in Western culture, the Pope, is accountable to God, then the lesser popes, the kings themselves, they're accountable to God as well. That 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 God God relates to us individually made in his image, not corporately as part of any kind of a specific church body or any kind of a nation state or ethnicity or anything of that or race, but as individuals, he relates to us. And that set the stage for the idea of individual rights. That set the stage for individual responsibility. When those things are accountable to God and the rights come from God. And then what the Renaissance did is it encouraged the flourishing of that of your individual talent of your individual ability probably no event in human history since the advent of capitalism did more to incentivize human achievement than the renaissance did because and I'm not saying I'm not saying it didn't produce a red light district or anything else because we're sinners these things will happen right okay but in essence what the renaissance did was encouraged us to maximize our god-given talents and abilities and the art and the music and everything that came out of that era is still significant historically today in the 21st century. So you put those two notions together. That God is no respecter of persons. Kings go to hell too. Popes go to hell too. Bishops go to hell too. Priests go to hell too. Well then, I don't, I don't need to form a government in America where... I'm accountable to the government. They're accountable to me. I'm going to flip Romans 13 on its ear, as we've talked about on this show. And it's no wonder. We're the rulers here. It's no wonder a fallen angel would hate this, because from the beginning, they're like, I'm an angel, and you're not. You're a bag of meat, as you said. Yes. Why? So not only now, God gave you 
a will, an ability to choose to do good or evil that I don't have as an angel. But now you are encouraged to maximize your potential and flourish with it and not just perform some rote duty. Of course, in Lucifer's case, the rote duty was uh, being beautiful and serving the creator of the cosmos uh, in, in, in a way that made him look even more beautiful for all of eternity. What a, what a terrible existence Luc- yes. Lucifer was Paradise sentenced to. Paradise as slavery yes, by yes, Lucifer. Yes, thank you. All right. So on one hand now, as an individual, God is not a respecter of persons. Hell has bishops, priests, kings, and popes are in hell. Just like any common person who is, has their sins not atoned for is in hell as well, right? Well, then I rule, and 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 the and the system reports to me, not the other way around. And now we have a, and now on a cultural, fin- fiscal level, we have created a system where you are now incentivized to maximize your God-given talent. Should I say maybe capitalize on your God-given talent? And to the maximum that that the market or the culture or the community will be able to support at any given time. Those two impulses are really what are the mustard seeds planted in what eventually became known as America. You go on to say that nefarious or nefarious says that he really hates liberty. Like and he lists another laundry list of but liberty is like space bar space bar hates it yeah why the term what, liberty it, you mean yeah well yeah what it, but uh, i don't isn't isn't liberty what americans took for granted and in terms of in, in, turned it into epicureanism and for, took their eye off the ball why don't they hate puritanism you, we've talked about that term and whether it's from line, but the, the, why do, that controlling, live like this, obey, obey, obey. Don't the H.L. Mencken line was yeah. pur, pur, Puritans are people that are convinced that somewhere somebody yes. is having a good time and they hate that about them, right? Yeah, Wasn't it Mencken that said God's that? That's God's little family and they're yeah. following on the laws. Like, why, why was the devil really hate that? Why does he hate freedom? It seems like our freedom leads to license and yeah. then we kill ourselves. That's why he loves freedom. He's okay with it. He but loves, so you, but that, yep. you're saying that's different than liberty. It's, that's it's, my there's point. There's a clear distinction between freedom it's really and liberty. Important because that we don't liberty, know what these liberty terms mean denotes anymore. a responsibility that coincides with your freedom. So it's outside of yourself. Yes, liberty by law, liberty by grace. Where the spirit, like Second yes. Corinthians, where the where the now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what liberty. Okay, liberty indicates that there is that you are being called, you are being given autonomy this is the irony of it this is the paradox and if the christian faith is nothing if not paradoxical the 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 paradox of liberty is that you are being granted and acknowledged your individual autonomy but not to indulge yourself with it to be freed up to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself that's why you're being given this liberty not for, you know, crack cocaine to be legal. That, that's not what the point of liberty is. The point of, of, that's what freedom does. That's where we indulge in the Epicurean delights that you like to reference all the time. And I love that reference. Liberty denotes that your autonomy is being recognized. Liberty comes out of one of Peter's epistles. You, my brethren, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful natures. Liberty says that your freedom has a purpose. It was bought at a high price. 
whether it was the price of 56 men who pledged their, their lives, fortunes, or sacred honors, or it was bought at the price of a Nazarene carpenter who bled for you on a cross. But that your freedom comes at a high price. And you didn't pay that. Somebody paid that for you. And so you have a debt to owe with that, a responsibility that you owe with that. And again, anything that calls us, calls us to rise above our most base, basic instinct or most carnal, inst- or carnal natures, hell is always against anything that inspires us to something higher, anything. And the, that's, if I can get in on, on this a little bit, that's why Nefarious says later on in the chapter, you meatbags are never more dangerous than when you believe in a lofty ideal and are willing to give your life for it. Those are the always the most troublesome flesh bots, whether they call themselves apostles or patriots. Is it the reason why Nefarious is so freaked out and his horde of other demons are so freaked out? It's because it's not because necessarily the few founding fathers were those who believed in those lofty ideals, but it was because they saw an entire nation right. full of people, and those those founders were just a reflection of those people. And what you just what you just talked about is so crucial to understand because how the enemy corrupts our idea of liberty and the pursuit of happiness is that liberty and happiness exist apart from glorifying God. Mm-hmm. It's that the American people. Through the black-robed regiment that's mentioned in this pas- in this passage as well, uh, they were actually pursuing happiness to glorify God, or by glorify, or they were glorifying uh, God in their pursuit of 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 happiness because they recognized as well. Happiness wasn't just an in and in and of itself. It was to glorify mm-hmm. God by maximizing you, their own potential. You nailed it. it. It's also why there's a desire to corrupt even secular sources of inspiration superheroes, Mm -hmm. legends, um, mythological characters, um, science fiction stalwarts, okay? Anything, hell cannot, it doesn't just have to come from the Q source. Directly, direct revelation from the Bible. Anything that causes us to look upward, even if it's just the last son of Krypton, look up in the sky, anything. Anything that causes us to look up rather than look in or down. Hell is against anything that causes us to look up. Well, let me bookend where we started and echo that last question. That's what you said. This this self uh, government simply couldn't stand. You know, the nefarious said it can stand. And quote: You essentially remove every successful uh, uh, system we've e- scheme we've ever had if you allow yes. self government to stand. So they decide. How do we how do we defeat this? The, the the separation of church and state that we embodied was not capable of being defeated, he admitted, if you just go directly against it. And this sets up next week. You realized it had to infect it. Yes. It had to become it. Yep. It had to become a lie of what those things were. That's exact. Yes. That. Can you imagine what happens to hell if it can be established that even sinful people can govern themselves? That even even people that whose whose sin debt is not paid, and when they die will go to hell, but this side of heaven could still live like prosperous and lawfully. Do you know what that what that does to hell's entire narrative? Yeah. If even amongst the unbelievers, there's enough of still the Imago yeah. Day post fall that they can still acknowledge general revelation, common grace, right? 
and still be some form of a good citizen, a good neighbor. What does that do to hell's entire narrative of what they have to say about humanity if that even post-fall we're still capable of that sort of potential? Our our biggest accomplishment, the fall of man, the curse, our biggest accomplishment still is managing to glorify G.O.D. That's exactly right. Yes. That we still cannot escape the fact of God's majesty that even when our plan worked and humanity fell... His image carries on. His word carries on. His legacy carries on. Even amongst unregenerate, unrepentant people. That's what this country represented. And that's why it could not be allowed to stand. It it could not. This is a point that could not be granted. Because at least with the Hebrews, they had an excuse. Well, I mean, God spoke to Moses. God spoke to the prophets. God gave him stone tablets. God split the Red Sea. I mean... Who is not going to believe when they see all, you know what I'm saying? With us, though, there was no such excuse. The only reason, the only reason that people could start a country on liberty and then half of them went home and owned slaves and have the country carry on and inspire the world despite their own hypocrisy for three centuries is because they were tapping into something timeless, far larger than 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 ourselves and far bigger than hell as well. And that's why that example could not be allowed to become precedent. Amen. Three non-political questions are next. (sighs) Bill Barr, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. By the way, I, I, I gave you the wrong promo code the last couple of days with Bill Barr. I'm not sure if it was my fault or it was the wrong. It's not promo code Dace. It's promo code Steve. Several of you emailed me and said, hey, we tried the promo code Dace. It didn't work. And then I tried promo code Steve. And then several of you emailed me and said, yeah, we couldn't get promo code Dace to work. So we just said promo code Beck. Hey, dude. No, 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 no. The, the former, the, the, the artist formerly known as Ross Perot is Beck's neighbor. He doesn't need any more help. He's got this. All right. I need, I need to, what did you always say that you're doing with me? Cruising on my fumes or exhaust or coattails? Oh, riding your coattails. Yeah, okay. I'm riding Beck's coattails. All right. He sold out the book Nefarious Plot for me that he got me the movie deal because the people that bought it were listening that day. I'm riding his coattails. Don't be taking my coattails and giving them to him. He's in the Hall of Fame. I'm in Des Moines. All right. So no. No more, I use promo code Beck. Here's the new rule. In the future, if I give you the wrong promo code, do not use promo code Beck. Wait until the next day for further instructions and only use mine. He doesn't need any help. I'm the one that needs the help. (laughs) I think Glenn's got this. Goodness, the keepsakes in his office down there in Dallas are worth more than my house. All right, he's got this one, guys. Okay, so no... And if you do that in the future, please don't tell me about it. Just just do it. <laughs> all right. But the right promo code for Built Bar, now that I'm done crying in my Cheerios, all right, the right promo code for Built Bar is promo code Steve. Trust me, you're not going to regret this. Built Bar is incredible. Uh, it's, it's as good as most of the candy bars out there and a heck of a lot better for you. Half the calories, far more protein. It's really a protein bar. You just wouldn't know it because it doesn't have any of the chalkiness or aftertaste. 
or the huge sugar counts uh, that you get in a lot of protein bars these days. It's also gentle on the tummy, which is a big deal to me because I've tried so many protein bars that taste great and I just could not digest them because of everything they put in there to make it taste great. Built Bar has none of those things and it's got a ton of flavors as well. Get the uh, get the assortment box and try them all if you get the chance. 18, up to 18 amazing flavors, all of them covered in real chocolate. I can't say enough. I'm a huge fan of this product. I was so excited when they came on board that I might have given you the wrong promo code for the first couple of days. All right, so use the promo code Steve when you go to Built, B-U-I-L-T, not Bill Bar. He's on my crap list right now. Built Bar. They're on the hit list, okay? BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Steve and get 20% off your order. I promise you, you will not regret this. You're going to think to yourself, wow. Wow. I should have been eating these all along. Yes, that's what I felt when I started eating them. BuiltBar.com, promo code Steve. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. That was about the fastest I've ever eaten that much food in my life. I was literally <laughs> wolfing it down as the intro was playing. <clears throat> Wife is a tremendous cook. Three non-political questions on the Steve Day Show because we need a little bit of a reprieve from Hunter Bi- I mean, uh, the demise of Western civilization. Question number one. What sport do you think you'd be really, really, really good at in 10 years if you started practicing right now. Um, Wait, so I got to answer this. So right this, now, like, at my age right I'm, now? So, yeah. Yep. yep. I, I can only think of one. Um, just because at our age, you can lose weight, you can get bigger, stronger still, but your joints and stuff don't get any. Your reflexes don't get any younger. You know what I'm saying? Like I oh, said, I any any professional sport. It doesn't have to be a mainstream sport. Yeah, but there's only a few that I... I'm going to say golf. Just because of the strategy, the decision-making process, and it's a sport that encourages obsessive uh, competitiveness to master... And it's why I don't play it right now. I, I you know, when you in, in the circles I run in, I get asked to golf all the time, and I always say no, because I've actually never golfed. I I w- love the majors. I love playing Rory McIlroy. I've never golfed on a course I, because we're not talking about mini golf, right? I've never golfed on a course. I never have. And the, the the there's two reasons why. When I was younger and a better athlete, I was just too busy playing baseball, basketball, and football. And I had a fourth sport, but it was tennis that I got pretty good at. I liked tennis a lot. All right. Now, though, I'm in a stage of life where I I can't do anything, kind of. I First of all, I've never been like that. But golf is not a kind of sport. I, I just... it I, I, I couldn't go there... You know, shoot a 150 and say, well, I'll put the clubs away. See, in six months when I have a free Saturday, I'm not like that. And you know that. All right. That's why I want a camera to be there when you play your first round and you shoot that 150. I want to see it. <laughs> because I'm going to be back tomorrow. In fact, no, I won't even wait until tomorrow. I'll call home, honey. 
running this back. I cannot accept this fate. And so I've got golf is lined up for me when we are empty nesters and the kids are gone. So Noah's 13, so about five or six years probably. I In my 50s, I will be obsessed with golf. That's that's when the kids are gone and out of the house and don't care me about me anymore and don't want to know what I think and don't ever call. Um, golf is what I will do uh, to fill that next stage of the life of my life when I can give it the obsessive competitiveness that I require and it deserves. So I will say golf. Hmm, man, I don't think I, I, I used to do it and I don't do it anymore, but you can do it for a long, long time. And that's uh, a triathlon at, a, at long distances. You can't, it's not about speed. It's just about the perpetual motion machine. Can you just keep going? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I could be as good or better at that 10 years from now than I am right now. Cause now I just don't do it anymore. Wow, you guys are boring. I think for me, it's uh, cornhole bags. I think, and the next time we have there a pandemic, there is not professional cornhole. Yes, there, yeah, there yes, is. there, yes, there was during this pandemic. That was one of the few. Yeah. This country few is not sports. worth fighting for, fighting over anymore. Oh man, I'm already pretty good at, at cornhole. Sometimes the trick is not throwing throwing the, the sacks of corn uh, uh, laterally. It's throwing them up in the air so that they land and just kind of do this instead of you know sliding off of the uh, cornhole i want to die right now so that's that's the trick uh well first tip is is free for you uh question number two what movie do you quote the most i think we should answer that question about one another like for todd i'll answer for todd okay it's the untouchables the, the yeah. one Sean Connery line it's in particular. Right up there, yeah. 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 I, would, I would say that is it. Because I could come off the top of my head with like four or five, but I'll let you guys decide which one you think I quote the most. Because I, I could say Lord of the Rings. I could say The Dark Knight. I could say Star Wars. I could say The Godfather. I mean, I could come up with five or six, actually, probably. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Do you remember when we were in high school like in my life though nothing napoleon dynamite oh, naked gun naked guns oh another my one. goodness yeah. we used to talk yeah. to each other just in that script uh what do you quote the most it seems like i'm missing something obvious or i probably just named all the ones that i quote the most yeah you just- um yeah i think for you it's the lord of the rings movies i think it is yeah okay. right. and yeah i think for todd it's also probably lord of the rings slash the untouchables yeah which one does Noah does does Noah Aaron quote the most? You're not that young. Who am I? Yes. Which one does Aaron quote the most? Harry Potter. <laughs> Is that one of those? I'd say it's Forrest Gump for me. I I quote Forrest. Oh uh, yeah. Gump. Yeah, you do quote that a lot. Yeah. I mean, you use the, you know... I'm not a smart man, Steve, yeah, but yeah. I know what I'm love not, is. I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. Yeah, you, you do quote that a lot, yeah. Okay. And the, uh, you know, stupid is as stupid does, you do a, oh, you do a turn do of phrase with yeah. that on a lot of different things. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 So uh, Forrest Gump for you is a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. I like yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, I think we settled on the untouchables for Todd as well. I think what, we're good. what are you prepared to do? Question three, what's the best business idea you've ever had? Not the most successful, but the best one you've ever had. Go into details destro- describing said business. Oh, well, I think Go ahead. it exists now. 
my buddy and I were talking about it. It didn't exist at the time we thought about it, but it was, it was like pre-made individual serving Bloody Marys. <laughs> I did not expect. No, I did not either. <laughs> oh, <laughs> holy well. randomness, Batman! Well, yeah. I didn't see that coming at all. I was like, maybe pre-made apple cider yeah, vinegar but, packets or but something. Bloody Marys is very specific. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Bloody Marys are good on a weekend th- morning before college football, and are those, a, are, a really good Bloody Mary bar. But oftentimes, you just, you know, you just you know you don't have all the stuff you're throwing together like this base level tomato but, but like high quality individual serving bloody marys but they i they we, we didn't do it that's and somebody thing, beat us to it that's the spicy one with the, the tomato sauce or whatever tomato paste bloody marys what what did you just do kids these days <laughs> well my i goodness. i just i'm trying to make sure I'm, <laughs> we're talking about the same thing because i had i think i had one for like my 23rd or 24th i've never birthday. had one but i'm not a tomato juice guy oh uh, yeah tomato juice that's what it is it's yeah. terrible tomato paste it's terrible i'm Absolutely a weird terrible. i am a weird sicilian so i mean i love italian food i love foods made with tomatoes i don't like tomatoes in my salad i don't like them on any of my sandwiches or my burgers i don't like to i i, I don't like tomato juice so anything that comes that that anything is straight tomato uh, i i i i just don't like the taste of it but anything that any byproduct of the tomato i mean i could you can inject that into my veins it's very odd i'm shocked you've told us that noah was a picky eater back in the day <laughs> where did that come from i'm not a picky eater i'm a specific one there's a difference all right I've, i like very specific things too much but i am not picky i'm 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 specific not picky there's a difference all right sure okay um for me i mean i had the idea when i was a kid of of i wanted to go out you know play with my friends and you know uh we go play baseball we actually did that back in the day but then i'd want to watch you know uh jack morris was pitching on the nbc game of the week you know, and so you're kind of torn and then you'd go out in the yard or in the, in the dead end street of the cul-de-sac and you'd play when the Tigers were up to bat. So you came back in when Morris was on the mound, stuff like that, you know, and, and, you know, you guys know me anyway. I, I, I just have to multitask. I got to do multiple things at once. Otherwise I get bored. Right. And so I always thought when I was a kid, man, wouldn't it be so cool if you could like pause live TV? And wouldn't it be so cool if you could just, because yeah, we had VCRs back then too, but you couldn't. TiVo was your idea? This is what you're saying? You invented the internet, Al Gore? (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the only person who ever thought it was a great idea if you could pause live TV. All right. All right. Um, And Love Story was not written about my life. Wasn't that another one of Al Gore's claims? I, I, I seem to recall. But I always thought as a kid, man, and then, you know, you'd, when I started working as a newspaper reporter and I have to go to Iowa City or Ames to cover a game uh, or, you know, covering the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes and Michigan was playing and I could always master, particularly in the early 2000s before smartphones and everything were omnipresent, I could always like turn the TV and everything, the radio off and you didn't get score updates on your phone back then. I could always make it that I didn't know what was going on in the game. So when I got home, I could watch the Michigan game in real time after I made deadline and had my stuff written, I could get home and watch the Michigan game in real time uh, without knowing the outcome. But the problem is I'd be done with my work and the game would still have like an hour left. 
and oh, I couldn't. So, I, so you had to wait yeah, an hour because on a VCR you couldn't do it the other way. Yeah, you know, you had to let the whole program record, then rewind it and watch it from the beginning. And I always thought, wouldn't it be a great idea if you could just do all this in real time? And if I could, you could record something and then just go back and watch it while it was still recording on the back end, but watch it on the, what you missed on the front end. You know, I'm sure I'm not the only person that came up with that idea. And I'm probably admitting to you, I've not had a lot of great business ideas. Mine is, um, I'm probably not the first person to think of this idea as well, but like Audible for subscription video services. So, you know, with Audible uh, from Amazon, you get a credit like every month to, yeah. to get a book for free, but it just comes with your subscription. But do that for digital video services. So you, instead of paying a hundred bucks for five different subscription services, you pay 60 bucks for, you get to choose two or three a month that you want to. You just pick out your credits. This month I want uh, Peacock, I want Netflix, and I want uh, Hulu Plus or whatever. Uh, next month, I want whatever CBS's subscriptions, all access, um, you know, what whatever the the subscription Disney Plus one month. That would that would be that would be a good idea because it's good for the consumer. They get choice a la carte every month, and it's saving them a little bit of money and uh, from the business end as well. Not sure how you make money off of that, but it's a good idea. I like it. I, another good business idea I've had. What if you took these great popular. DC characters that people have loved for 80 years and actually made a movie and stuff about them that were faithful to the source material that people had already shown they liked. Anybody? No? Another bad idea. Hey, uh, you know, it also is a bad idea going into this real estate market without a real estate agent that you can trust. So where would you find them? Well, there's probably not a website that says real estate agents you can't trust.com, right? <laughs> Nobody's like, hey, can you list me on that website so everybody knows not to trust me? But there is a website called real estate agents I trust.com. So there is a place to go to find the agents that you can trust. The name kind of says it all. Uh, agents there have been fully vetted and proven to have a track record of success. They know there's more to a marketing plan than endless open houses, etc. Just about anywhere in America you'd want to move, we can find you an agent that you can trust. I'm sure there's somewhere, some remote outpost where we can't help you. But for the most part, just about anywhere in America, we can help you find an agent that has a proven record of success and will go all in and work for you. You're not working for the agent. They work for you. Again, the name kind of says it all. Real estate agents. I trust.com is where you can go. That's real estate agents. I trust.com. Gentlemen, any final thoughts before we stick around after the show and what, do the overtime? What was the idea that you just said? Sorry. Um, before real estate if, agents. Yeah. What if, you know, you had like a movie studio that had access to DC's characters that have oh, yeah. spent like 90 years, you know, selling trillions of comic books. Yeah. And you made like movies that were like faithful to the source material everybody already yeah. liked. No, actually, no, that is a good idea. Yeah. Oh, just throwing that out there. People on Twitter say you talk about the Sandlot a lot. I do? Yeah. Hmm. You killing okay. me, Smalls? Yeah. John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.